Hey there, travelers. I'm Isabella. I'm Riley. I'm Angelica. And this is True Crime International. Isabella, where are you taking us to today? Today, we're going to Rwanda to talk about a case that I'm actually, I'm really surprised that this isn't discussed more. And it's the murder of Diane Fossey. I really haven't seen any of the big true crime podcasts or any of the big like true crime YouTube channels talk about this case. And I'm so surprised because it was such a big deal when it happened. Because when Diane Fossey was murdered, she was pretty much a household name. So I don't know why no one talks about it. Yeah, I don't know. For those of you who don't know who (laughs) Diane Fossey is, she was an American primatologist who went to Rwanda to start a study on the mountain gorillas that lived in the rainforest there. And she lived among them for 18 years. And the study she started is still ongoing and is the longest study of mountain gorillas ever. She is actually credited, her study is credited for saving the species from extinction because of the awareness she brought to the gorillas. She wrote several books, but the most famous book is called Gorillas in the Mist, which was adapted into a movie starring Sigourney Weaver as Diane Fossey. So like, legit, Sigourney Weaver played her in a movie. Mm-hmm. That's, that's real dope. And that's real dope what she did for gorillas. I watched a National Geographic documentary while I was researching, and it was also narrated by Sigourney Weaver. So Sigourney Weaver is all about Diane Fossey. Very cool. Now, I am going to offer a little bit of a trigger warning here. We are going to be touching on the subject of poaching in this episode, which honestly, some of it's really upsetting. I did cry while uh, writing this script. So trigger warning now, and I'll give a bit of a warning later on as well when we get into that part of the story. But it is difficult. And if that's just not something you can do, skip this episode. So Diane was born in San Francisco, California on January 16th, 1932. Her mother Kitty was a model and her father George was an insurance agent. But when Diane was just six years old, her parents got divorced and her mom remarried the following year. It was really tough on Diane though, because not only did Kitty prevent Diane from seeing George, her father, but her new stepfather, Richard, was just a pile of human garbage. He never gave Diane any affection. He never treated her as his own. He was a strict disciplinarian, and he wouldn't even let Diane eat with him and Kitty at the dinner table. Okay, so Richard was dick. You're telling oh, me. Oh, huge dick. He was just Huge a dick. dick. <laughs> Richard was a huge dick with, I imagine, a small dick. Because this is some small dick <laughs> energy, honestly. <laughs> mm-hmm. So because Diane didn't really have any emotional support at home, she kind of turned to animals. Her love for animals bloomed when she was six, the same year her parents got divorced, because she found acceptance with animals. Her first pet was a goldfish, whom she loved dearly, and then she soon began riding horses after that. That goldfish thing is precious. That's so mm-hmm. cute. <laughs> Just yeah. fishy. After high school, Richard encouraged Diane to go to business school because he himself was a businessman, and Diane just went along with it. She was like, whatever. But the following summer, Diane, when Diane was 19, she spent some time on a ranch in Montana riding horses, and it really rekindled her love and passion for animals. So she said, fuck you to Richard, and instead enrolled in a pre-veterinary program at the University of California, Davis. Claps for Diane. Love it. Mm-hmm. 
Diane knew that she wanted to spend her professional life working with animals, but Richard didn't support this and so refused to give her any money for school unless she studied business. But since this was the 1950s, Diane was able to afford her tuition by working part-time at a discount department store. Imagine that. Cannot relate. I worked three jobs through college and I still graduated with debt. Yep. Um, Diane also did some work in a lab and she also worked as a machinist at one point too. But she didn't have to do like crazy hours working in order to afford college because it was the 1950s and you could buy a house for like six blueberries. (laughs) And one paperclip. Two if it was a fancy house. Just to keep your papers together. Yeah. (laughs) So even though Diane was overall a, a pretty good student and certainly had a strong passion for working with animals, she really struggled with the scientific part of her degree program, specifically chemistry and physics, and she actually failed her exams at the end of the second year, which meant that she wasn't allowed to continue in the veterinary program and she had to leave it. Aww. So she then left UC Davis and transferred to San Jose State College, where she studied occupational therapy. Uh, she was also in a sorority, which this is not important whatsoever. I just have a really hard time picturing Diane Fossey in a sorority. It just those things do not mesh in my brain. I at like when I was a freshman at U of M, I like was like, hmm, maybe I'll do that. And then everyone else in my dorm hallway was doing it, and I was like, hmm, maybe I won't do that. <laughs> <laughs> wow, I can I cannot picture you in a sorority. You would have killed everybody. <laughs> I would. You would be doing an episode on me. Yeah, (laughs) the sorority slayer. (laughs) Oh, God. Sororities, like, no offense if you were in one, but sororities really just are like a cult to me. They They just seem like cults. Yeah, I mean, there's some really good sisterhood and relationships that comes out of them. I just, like, some type of people don't fit, don't fit, and I am one of those people. I never would have fit. I never no. even lived on a university campus because I was like, there's no way I'm going to get along with anybody. Oh, here. yeah. I, I like made hardly any friends uh, in college. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't live on campus either. So Diane graduated with a bachelor's in 1954, and she got to work immediately in the occupational therapy field, interning at a few hospitals in California and working with patients who had tuberculosis. Imagine graduating from university and immediately getting work in your field. Can't. That like that was like a good enough job you could like sustain yourself like you're mm-hmm. set now you have a job and you can work that job for the rest of your life. Exactly. I just cannot relate to no, this. No, no. Me with three degrees after my undergrad and being like, wait, what jobs do I get in any of these fields? <laughs> <laughs> we make like forty dollars a month doing a podcast <laughs> split three ways. <laughs> it's okay. I'll be a librarian soon. I'll be golden. Uh, So Diane was still riding horses at this time, and she was actually a prize-winning equestrian. So she decided to move to Kentucky in 1955 so she could spend more of her free time riding horses at a higher level. And for our non-U.S. listeners who might not know, uh, Kentucky is home to the Kentucky Derby. So horseback riding there, equestrian, everything is really, really big. And if you're big with equestrian stuff in the U.S., that's a really great place to go, especially if you do it on like a prize level i guess i'm not i'm not an equestrian but this is just my understanding my sister did equestrian but i still can't give you an answer (laughs) i just know that she did (laughs) so being the 1950s again diane was able to get a job in her field pretty much as soon as she moved 
and she began working at a children's hospital in Louisville. While she was working at the children's hospital, she made friends with a woman who went by Ganey. Uh, Her name was Ganey Ford, and she worked as a secretary to the hospital's chief administrator. She was also married to one of the doctors who worked there, and they actually had a farm together. And Diane spent a lot of time at their farm and helped out with the animals. She loved it because it was animals. She just wanted to be around animals. And she became really close with the Fords. And for the first time in her life, she felt like she had an emotionally supportive family, which was something that she had desperately missed growing up. So were they like quite a bit older than her? I don't know. I don't know how old they were. Okay. So the Fords, like Diane, had a huge love for animals. And in 1962, they invited her to go with them on a trip to Africa to tour a handful of countries and admire the wildlife. And Diane, she desperately wanted to go, but she couldn't afford it and she had to turn down the offer. But this this lit a fire underneath her, though. And she became so determined to go to Africa that she started saving and borrowing money as much as she possibly could in order to be able to afford a trip to Africa. And by 1963, she had borrowed $8,000, which was one year's salary. And I was like, wow, $8,000? That's not a lot of money. I calculated the inflation. And that is equivalent to nearly $69,000 in today's money. So girl was making good money. Yeah. But also, what kind of trip costs $69,000? Yeah, that's very expensive. Also, this is what makes me, like, so mad. Like, someone older than me is like, when I was your age, I only made $20,000 a year and I bought a house. And I'm like, your $20,000 is like $80,000 now, okay? Do the math before you you say shit to me. My favorite, I I found an inflation calculator on, on the internet a little while ago and i love just calculating inflation rates and just being like wow if i had ten dollars in the 1950s i could have bought a car i'm gonna use that phrase whenever i don't like like what someone said to me i'm just gonna say do the math before you say shit to me (laughs) about everything (laughs) do the math before you say shit to me i like someone disagrees with something i'm doing in life do the math before you say shit (laughs) so sixty nine thousand dollars though that is so much money for a trip and i so when i found that out i was like oh so her trip must have been for you know months and months because you can very easily go on a year-long trip with that no it was a seven-week tour of africa how are you spending that kind of money in seven weeks i understand that travel was more expensive back then but still damn yeah that's that's damn a lot of money so diane arrived 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 yep me too So Diane arrived in Nairobi, Kenya in September 1963, and that's where she met John Alexander, who was the man who took her on her tour of Kenya, the Democratic Republic of the Congo, Tanzania, and Rhodesia, which is now Zimbabwe. Also, I'm not going to repeat that. If you hear weird noises coming from me like that, it's my upstairs neighbors, and they do it all goddamn day. (laughs) All day. They do it. When I am going to sleep and they are doing it when I wake up. Sometimes it's the reason I wake up and it's hard to edit these things out. I can't always tell when they're doing it when I'm talking and it's just a fact of life. I'm sorry. I hate this apartment. I think the people will understand. Yeah. Anyone that's ever had shitty neighbors, you've had shitty neighbors, you get me. I try my best to cut this out when it happens, but it makes it in sometimes and there's just, there's nothing I can do. Yeah, my neighbor right now is really shitty. (laughs) It's me. <laughs> and Riley recording in the same house. <laughs> so to say that this trip changed Diane's life is such an understatement that it's almost insulting. The people she met on this trip are just insane. 
First of all, and most randomly, this doesn't have any effect on her overall, but she met the actor William Holden, and he was at like peak fame at this time. But he owned one of the lodges that she stayed in in Kenya, I believe. Then in Tanzania, while she was touring the Olduvai Gorge, which is quite literally the place where Homo habilis, the earliest human species that we know of, once lived. She met the paleoanthropologist couple Louis and Mary Leakey, who were the people that proved humans evolved in Africa through their findings at that gorge. She met them. That's really cool. That's really freaking cool. She's meeting all sorts of people. Yeah, like imagine you just go to Africa and meet the people that proved evolution happened in Africa. So Louis Leakey in in particular, we're going to talk about him for a minute because he is so influential. When he and Diane met, he told her all about the study he started on chimpanzees with a then little known British woman named Jane Goodall. Do you know who Jane Goodall is? Yes, I know who Jane Goodall is. She's the other gorilla person. She's the chimpanzee person. Chimpanzee person. Diane's the gorilla person. Okay, sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah, yeah. So Louis Leakey was the one that started both of their studies and then had them lead the studies. Mm -hmm. So at this point, um, Jane Goodall was already in Africa. She had already started her study on the chimpanzees. I love Jane Goodall so much. Yeah. So, so, so much. And Leakey told Diane all about the importance of long-term studies, in particular on wildlife, and most particularly on the different species of apes, since they are our closest relatives. Leakey was the one who started Jane Goodall's study on chimps, like I said before, but he also studied, he also started Diane's study of the gorillas and Birute Gladicus's study of orangutans. And these studies, headed by these three women, changed our knowledge and perception of all three species and leaky called them the trimates and i really like that oh that's cute leaky always chose women to head these studies because he said that women were far more patient and observant and that a man would never be able to stand living in the wilderness for years studying animals that you may not see sometimes for like months and he's not wrong honestly no, he, he was right to Where's the lie? <laughs> louis leaky I could be wrong, but he really strikes me as the type of person that just didn't give a shit about all the gender bullshit because it got in the way of science. Like he, To me, he just is the type of person that cares about science and that's it. And clearly he knew that women were very much capable of doing great science because his wife was a paleoanthropologist with him. So I stand Louis Leakey. Me too. Anyway, Diane's meeting with the Leakeys was super influential in her life, but during her time with them, she actually broke her ankle. And she recovered at a hotel in Uganda where she met Walter Baumgartel, who owned the hotel and was a huge advocate for the conservation of mountain gorillas. She also met Joan and Alan Root, who were Kenyan wildlife photographers, and they let Diane stay behind their campsite. And it was there that Diane saw wild mountain gorillas for the first time. And like, that was it for her pretty much. Like, she just, it consumed her. So after her trip, she went back to Louisville and started to pay off her debts. Uh, But she also wrote about her time in Africa for the Courier Journal in a series of articles. And a few years after she got back, Louis Leakey happened to come to Louisville to do a lecture. He was like touring the U.S. giving lectures at different universities. And Diane went to go see him uh, to show him her articles because she was really proud of them. And he remembered meeting her a few years before. And he was so struck by her passion that it was then he first suggested the idea of her heading a long-term study of mountain gorillas, much like Jane Goodall had been doing with chimpanzees. 
And the thing with the trimates is that none of them had any formal training in the fields they ended up working in. Like Jane Goodall did not go to university. And we know that Diane, she she wasn't a veterinarian. She did occupational therapy. The reason they were selected is because they all had one thing in common and that was an unrelenting passion and love for animals. And that's like that that's the biggest thing because you could have all the training in the fucking world. But if you don't have the passion, the true like to the core passion for the animals, you're not going to put up with living in the rainforest for 18 years. Yeah, exactly. There's no way. That's so interesting. And this is why they were personally asked by Louis Leakey to do the studies because he he was the one that started all the studies because because he was a name, he was able to get funding. And if he backed them, then people would give funding. And like he was getting funding from National Geographic. This dude is legit. Yeah. Diane obviously said yes to the offer. And while Leakey was collecting the funding for the study, she used the time to leave her job and take some courses in Swahili and primatology. But she only did that for about eight months before she completely relocated her life, arriving back in Nairobi in December 1966. Before heading off to the Congo, Diane went to Gombe in Tanzania, and that's where she met Jane Goodall for the first time. And she spent several days with her, observing her research methods and just kind of learning what to do. Oh, man, imagine meeting Jane Goodall. <laughs> From there, in early 1967, Diane began her study in Kabara, Congo. Alan Root, the photographer she'd met on her trip to Africa, her first trip to Africa, I mean, taught her all that he knew about tracking mountain gorillas. She and her group lived up in the mountains. They slept in tents. They ate canned food day in and day out and just looked for gorillas. And they would come down from the mountains about once a month to drive to the nearest town to restock. And that was it for a little while. Diane had some early success with making contact with the gorillas, especially in the first nine months, because she learned that they were more comfortable around her if she sort of mimicked their movements and sounds, really mimicked their behaviors. And that meant she could observe them a lot more closely. But her time in the Congo didn't last very long because the Congo was in the midst of a really, really, really horrible civil war at that time. And in July 1967, she and her research team were arrested by soldiers that went and found their camp in the mountains. And Diane was detained for two weeks. Oh, wow. Oh, my God. Diane was detained for two weeks until a very well-placed bribe got her out and she was able to flee to Uganda where the authorities told her not to go back to the Congo. That sucks. I have a feeling she doesn't listen. Yeah, I do too. She was at a loss at that point, so she went back to Nairobi to meet with Leakey so they could discuss her next move. And Leakey and Diane, against the wishes of the U.S. Embassy, decided to continue the study in the same mountain range, just on the Rwandan side. So she headed to Rwanda. Clever. Yeah, it's actually really clever. Yeah, because our story takes place in Rwanda, not the Congo. It's in the title. Yeah. On September 24th, 1967, Diane founded the Karasoki Research Center, which which was where she would spend much of the next 18 years high up in the mountains and deep in the rainforest. On this side of the mountain range, Diane had a much harder time getting near the gorillas as they only recognized humans as poachers, unfortunately. None of the gorillas had ever really had a friendly interaction with humans, and poaching was unfortunately very common and still is in the rainforests of Rwanda. Gorillas are poached for various reasons, but the four most common reasons are for food, for decoration, for black magic, and for sale to foreign zoos. Much of Diane's career is 
defined by her facing the poachers, but despite the challenges the poachers brought to her work, she was still able to learn incredible things about gorillas, like how they have social hierarchies, the way they communicate with each other, how females move from group to group throughout their lives, uh, infanticide, apparently. Gorillas commit infanticide, but it's pretty rare. Uh, and then like also learned, yeah, so many teen. Uh, and she also learned a bunch about their diet. Much of our understanding of gorillas came from her study, came from her observations and her research. Just like much of our understanding of chimpanzees came from Jane Goodall and our understanding of orangutans came from Biruke. And I don't remember her surname, I'm sorry. <laughs> Lithuanian <laughs> names are hard. I work with Lithuanians, I know this. So her findings landed her on the cover of National Geographic in 1970, and that got her study even more attention and even more funding. Diane's study is credited as being the reason there are still mountain gorillas in the wild, as they were projected to be extinct by the turn of the 21st century. And now, even though it's 2021, there are still mountain gorillas in the rainforests of Rwanda, and the populations continue to grow. But as I mentioned before, Diane faced a lot of problems with poachers. However, there is a lot of gray area in this part of the story. While I'm not here to defend poaching in any way, here at True Crime International, we want to be able to discuss and acknowledge as much of the story as we can from as many angles as we can. And if you research Diane, most of what will pop up on the first pages of Google or YouTube, and I mean, they're the same thing, but uh, it's articles and videos really just singing Diane's praises, discussing the importance and the significance of her work. And a few things here and there about her death, which obviously we'll talk about later. But the harsh realities of how she treated the locals, it tends to be swept under the rug. But we should be able to discuss the incredible work that people did in their lives while also acknowledging the bad shit. Mm -hmm. I mean, pff, we, D Disney fucking sucked. He was a terrible human being. Yep. <laughs> so was Coco Chanel. So was so Gandhi. Was so was Mother Teresa. Henry Ford. Like Henry Ford. I want to like definitely slap the shit out of them be like thanks for this but also get it together it does no one any good though to focus on one side or the other like we shouldn't only focus on the bad things people did if they did good in their lives also but we shouldn't only focus on the good things people did in their lives if they also did bad things we need to be able to talk about both mm -hmm. word in one article that i read about diane it talked about how protective she was of her research center going so far as to shoot roaming cattle in order to keep outsiders away from her camp. In the documentary I watched about her, and this was a National Geographic documentary, and so they have every reason, because they, they fund the research, they have every reason to protect her legacy. Um, they discussed her, quote, unorthodox methods of dealing with the poachers by putting on like a Halloween mask, one that might make the locals think she was like a ghost or a witch and jumping out of the rainforest at the poachers and chasing them away, like trying to make them scared of the rainforest so they won't want to go in. Mm -hmm. And I mean, that's not that's not great, but shit, compared to the, the other stuff that she did, which I'm going to talk about in a minute, that's just like just no big yeah. deal whatsoever. But also, okay, I understand the poachers, like not wanting them near the camp, but like I feel like having cattle near the camp is kind of like the natural environment that she's in and messing with that could have skewed data with the gorillas. So, I mean, it was it, when I say cattle, I don't just mean a random cow in the wild. Like the, these belong to somebody. They were a part of uh, a ranch somewhere. Oh, and they were, okay. See, you didn't. Yeah. I gotcha. Sorry. 
I thought you just meant like wild cattle, and I'm like, that seems like something you would want to learn about in the interactions with no, no, gorillas. No no. no, 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 not wild cattle, like cattle that was clearly part of some kind of ranch. Gotcha. But if they got too if they got too close to her camp, they she would shoot them. Okay, yeah, that's a little crazy. Um, but all this is only one part of the picture, though. She didn't just see the poachers as the enemy, but pretty much all people from local communities. If they weren't already part of her research team, that is. So I really don't like this part. In a letter written by Diane in 1976 to fellow primatologist Dr. Richard Wrangham. Wrangham. Yeah, Wrangham. That's it. Diane detailed how she physically and psychologically tortured a poacher she had captured near the research center. She said, and like this, these are, she wrote this. I'm paraphrasing, but she wrote this down. She had stripped the poacher completely naked, tied him to the ground where he laid spread eagle before whipping his genitals with nettles. But oh no, she was not done. She was not done. That was the physical torture. Psychological torture came next. She performed fake black magic rituals as a way to psychologically torture the poacher. She drugged him with ether and sleeping pills before behaving in a way that would make him think she was performing black magic on him and scare the absolute shit out of him. What the fuck, bro? This is true crime in itself. Right? (laughs) And the thing with this letter is she wasn't writing to tell her colleague about like an error in judgment motivated by frustration and anger. Not that that would make it okay. But she straight up encouraged Dr. Rangham to copy her methods and to promote them to others when he spoke at conferences. This bitch is crazy. That is not fucking okay. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Like, Diane, you're doing something right with these animals, but you can't just fucking treat human beings like shit. Like, no. This is all very much real, and you can find these things on the internet fairly easily if you go past, like, the first page of Google. Uh, But the people that work for her foundation today are terrified of these things becoming more common knowledge because it could mean that funding for the study, which is still ongoing, like I said, and still protecting gorillas from poaching, though I have to imagine without torture. Otherwise, like, there's no way it would have gone on this long. No, 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 no. It would likely, that funding would likely stop, which could lead to the extinction of the mountain gorilla species so i just want to say like if you've if you do know who diane fossey is and you have donated to her foundation in recent years uh please know that it's not the money's not the money is going to save the gorillas but not torture the locals diane was the one torturing the locals and she's not around anymore to continue that so i just want to make that clear like if you if you donate to the diane fossey foundation you're not you're not donating to uh rwandan's torture i mean in in the 80s you were in the the 70s and 80s you were unfortunately but these days you're not and i i just don't want people i don't want the the dislike for diane fossey to become misguided and condemn a species you know so as it's probably obvious at this point diane and the locals of rwanda and in particular the poachers and look poaching again not great but you don't get to fucking torture people Diane and, 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 the, and the Rwandans, they had a fraught relationship and tensions escalated over years and years. And I'm going to talk a little bit more. I'm going to talk about some specific gorillas now. So this is the additional warning. In 1978, 20 adult gorillas were killed. So two babies, just two babies, could be captured and sold to the zoo in Cologne, Germany. 
Diane looked after the babies, whom she named Pucker and Coco, but not that Coco. Not the not the sign language Coco. Oh, okay, gotcha. Okay. Different different Coco the gorilla. Diane fought as hard as she could to keep the gorillas in the mountains and save them from the zoo, which she called zoos prisons and completely unethical. And I personally agree with this. The the animals did not get there by ethical means. I'm sorry. Yeah. It, and also it depends on the zoo. Yeah. Because there's there's some great like um smaller zoos like that are more on brand of like, you know, the family and we bought a zoo. Yeah. Like, they're closer to that. I know that's a fictional zoo. No, it wasn't. No, it's not. Wait, it's not. It's based on a true story. <laughs> but also, like, I, I know that Australia Zoo, like, Austra- the Australia Zoo, they um they focus a lot more on conservation of the species of Australia. And they do release animals back into mm-hmm. the wild. But as, as, as fond of memories as I have of the Detroit Zoo, um, I just, it's hard to support them because... Yeah, it really, really does depend on the zoo. It really depends on the zoo. Some of them are definitely more focused on conservation, but obviously the the zoo in Cologne, Germany is not one of them if they're buying gorillas from Rwanda. And 20 adult gorillas were killed for these two babies. And the the babies ended up going to Germany and they died nine years later because they were not able to adapt to a life in captivity. Especially when the people who are keeping them captive aren't even trying to give them the best life possible exactly and like man this part of the story i want to like diane so bad i want her to be like jane goodall so bad because she did do wonderful work for these gorillas but i mean shit you can't torture people it's not okay no (laughs) the most famous gorilla diane ever became close with was an adult male that she called digit because he was missing a finger and that is the best name ever that I is so Digit. cute. I am going to name an animal of mine, some pet later in my life, Digit, in honor of Digit, because, oh my God, Digit was the sweetest and gentlest soul. And there's some really incredible footage of him and Diane chilling together in the forest, sharing snacks, playing together. He loved to play. Um, they would like pet each other's hair. And there's this really cute video of, uh, Di- of Digit taking Diane's notebook and then like examining it. And then giving it back to her and then taking her pencil, oh, looking at it and then giving it back so to her. It's cute. just oh, so, so sweet. Cute. Diane learned so much from Digit and Digit, he was just so sweet. He would come to the camp to say hi to her and her photographer. Oh, so cute. And a lot of the footage uh, of her and Digit is part of the reason she became so famous because it's such incredible footage. And, you know, the world loved Digit. Digit was just the best. Mm -hmm. And Diane's study was really defined by her close relationship with Digit. And I'm going to ruin your day now. On New Year's Eve 1977, everything changed. Six poachers attacked Digit and his group in the forest. But Digit put up one hell of a fight. He killed one of the poacher's dogs and fought so fiercely that the other 13 members of his group were able to escape. And while he was able to save the lives of his family, Digit took five spears to his body and he was killed. No. His head and hands were chopped off because skulls and hands of gorillas were popular items sold in local markets. And a few days later, Digit's body was discovered and brought to Diane, who really, she never fully recovered from the emotional toll that Digit's death took on her. To Diane, yeah. to Diane, Digit was like a son. 
She'd known him since he was a baby, and knowing that her relationship with him was likely what led to his death was almost too much for her to handle. Those close to Diane said she was never quite the same after Digit was killed. While dealing with the poachers had been part of her reality since she arrived in Rwanda, fighting poaching had never been her focus, the scientific research was, but after Digit's death, it changed. She started a foundation called the Digit Fund, uh, which put all of its resources into fighting poaching. And Digit's death put an international spotlight onto the issue of poaching, and Diane decided to take action. And while anti-poaching laws have existed in Rwanda since the 1920s, they're pretty rarely enforced, uh, because a lot of times the poachers simply pay off the park rangers, and the park rangers just turn a blind eye. They don't, because like the poachers will pay them like a year's salary to let them go in once. Diane's focus shifted from the scientific research to fighting the poachers, and she definitely engaged in more of the torture that I described earlier. And Jesus, Diane. She also burned their camps. She even kidnapped the child of a suspected poacher, not even what confirmed, suspected, not? and held the child for ransom. What? Diane, bro. Seriously. Diane, you can't do this shit. No, it's not fucking okay. In an article written by Tunku Varadarajan for the Wall Street Journal in 2002, he called Diane a, quote, racist alcoholic who regarded her gorillas as far better than the African people who lived around them, unquote, and agreed. That's, that, that sucks. That's sad. It's hard to know all of the good stuff that she did and also the, like, other things that she did while she was doing the good stuff. And it's like, it's really hard to like you. I like what you, the good things that you did, but you as a person, it's really hard to like. Yeah. 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 And the thing with poaching is no one does it because they're evil. No one is, po- no one's just going out and uh, poaching wow. animals because they're evil. Well, the trophy hunters are. Yes. Yes. <laughs> the, the Very one, much so. There's like, yes. Yeah. The trophy hunters are, but they are a very, very, very minute part of the problem. Mm-hmm. Poaching is, is mostly for money. And yeah. the best way to fight poaching is to make killing the animals unprofitable. I actually, I read an article and it might, I, I'm going to have to double check this. We can take it out if it's not true. But I read an article a couple of years ago about, because um, uh, like the biggest ivory market in the world is in China. And uh, scientists in China created synthetic ivory that was genetically identical to real ivory so they just flooded the market with it at reduced prices to try and flush out the demand for for real ivory and and thus poaching like that is how you fight poaching exactly that is how you fight poaching in uh i I watched a vice news piece about poaching in the democratic republic of the congo and it it was poaching it was specifically like poaching gorillas it was the same uh mountain region park where diane was doing her research originally before she went to the other side of the mountains to rwanda and um, now, like, poaching of gorillas, like, it still happens, but the bigger threat to gorillas is uh, their habitat being destroyed uh, in order to make charcoal, uh, because charcoal is a big business in the DRC, because mm-hmm. it heats people's homes. It, for a lot of people, it's their electricity. It's, like, their source of energy. So what they've done is create huge hydro plants uh, for the local, for the, um, uh, uh, for the capital city of the DRC. Uh, to try and reduce poaching. Like, that is how you fight poaching. You don't kidnap children and whip people with nettles. Nope. 
Diane's crusade went on and on until her death. And let's get into that. On the morning of December 27th, 1985, Diane's body was discovered on the floor of the bedroom in her cabin at her research center. Diane's house servant, that's what it said, house servant. That's weird. Called, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, Diane's house servant called her research assistant, her very last one, uh, Wayne Richard McGuire, to the grizzly scene. And he said that, quote, when I reached down to check her vital signs, I saw her face had been split diagonally with one machete blow. Oh, oh wow. my God. She died a very violent death. Oh, my God. Yes. Very Ooh. violent death. Her oh. cabin had been completely ransacked, but nothing was actually taken. Her passport, handguns, and even thousands of US dollars in cash were still in the cabin. And so that rules out robbery as a motive for the murder. And I would never yeah. have believed that robbery would be the no, reason no. Diane Fossey died. As no. Especially since it happened at the research center. Yeah. After Diane's murder, her entire research team was arrested by the Rwandan authorities, which included a local named Emmanuel Rabelacana, who had been hired to the team as a tracker, but was later fired for allegedly attacking Diane with a machete, according to court documents. However, Emmanuel never had a trial because he was found dead in prison after having apparently hung himself. But there could be more to that. We don't know. Yeah, I just feel like if he had attacked her with a machete previously, a lot more people would have said something about it. I don't know. Yeah, I just don't really believe it because, like, that's all the information I, I really have about it. And I don't know. It just seems awfully convenient to point at a local. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The rest of the research team was released, but later Wayne Maguire, her assistant, was charged with Diane's murder in Rwanda. And it was during his trial that the allegations against Emmanuel were made. Uh, prosecutors for Wayne's trial alleged that he had killed Diane so that he could take her manuscript for the sequel to her 1983 book, Gorillas in the Mist, which had been a great success. And honestly, um, if you don't know Diane Fossey, just look up Gorillas in the Mist and look at the cover of the book because I feel like you've probably seen it before. It's very famous. Yeah. Wait, so that prosecution was saying Emmanuel had killed her for that no wayne, wayne wayne the research assistant. okay 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 gotcha so wayne was accused of killing diane because he was allegedly unsatisfied with his own research and wanted to steal hers by quote any dishonest means possible unquote uh wayne however was tried in absentia meaning he wasn't he wasn't there and so he just went back to the u.s where there are there's no extradition agreement between the u.s and rwanda so he never returned to rwanda and he can't because he was actually found guilty and sentenced to death by shooting. So, but at the same um, time, I don't really know if I believe this because there's no real evidence that points to Wayne being the murder murderer. I just, I don't know. Like he could be, he definitely could be, but I don't know what evidence they used against him at the trial. I don't know if this was all just hearsay, um, particularly with him being dissatisfied with his own research. Like, how do you prove this? How how yeah. did they prove this? I don't how, know. How how old was Diane when she died? Fifty something, fifty five. Okay, something like that. I feel like there's a very real possibility that she could have been killed, considering it was so violent, because she was a bad person mm -hmm. and someone was mad. There are other theories, obviously, because no one yeah. really knows who did it. Everyone has their own theories. Um, the the most popular theory is poachers getting revenge, and 
honestly, that's kind of the theory that I buy the most mm-hmm. because they. Yeah, that's what I was. She thinking was awful. Too. She was. Like, she awful was to awful them. to them. She tortured them. Yeah, I mean, that's not to say the poachers never did horrible things, um, like the killing Digit. But there was also one instance where they killed another gorilla, and um, essentially chopped it up and laid out all the parts in front of her camp as like a mm. warning. That's fucked up. Ew, that is really fucked up. And actually, you can find the pictures of it. It is fucking terrifying. Oh, God. It is fucking terrifying. It is really freaky. But she, like, she still fucking tortured people, yeah. burned camps, and kidnapped a child. Yeah. Yep. No. Yep. So I I personally think it's more likely to be poachers because, shit, she was just a horrible person. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also a theory that it was gold smugglers because there's this rumor that she had this like potentially damning video of them which would explain the ransacked cabin oh if they were only looking for a video yeah yeah, you wouldn't know that it was missing exactly like if they're looking for a video like that's that would explain why they didn't take you know any of the cash or anything they just wanted the video so yeah that could be true as well but no one knows for sure if that video actually exists so it's just like it's just a theory uh but who 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 really knows? No one except the person that killed her, because no one was ever really brought to justice. The only person ever tried was Wayne, and he was given a sentence, but because he went back to the U.S., like he's fine. Uh, after Diane's death, the Digit Fund was renamed the Diane Fossey Gorilla Fund International, and her research center is funded by the foundation to this day, as the study of gorillas is ongoing and the population of the mountain gorillas has been increasing steadily since the 1980s, thanks to Diane's work. Though, as mentioned, her methods of dealing with poachers was absolutely horrible. So, the good and the bad here. I really wish they kept it as the Digit Fund. Me too. Instead of the Diane Fossey Fund, because... Then it's more focused on the gorillas. Good good little dude. Digit was the best. Diane Diane sucked. (laughs) Diane really sucked. So... Diane's original camp was completely looted and destroyed in the 1994 Rwandan genocide in which 800,000 people were slaughtered in just 100 days. Oh my god. And then the unstable few years that followed it also didn't help her camp survive either. Um, which I, I've actually considered covering the Rwandan genocide for this podcast before. So let me know if you'd be interested in hearing about it because it is just such a wild story. Um, mm-hmm. This episode is a huge bummer, so I want to end it on a bit of a more on on a on a higher note, and I'm gonna just talk a, a little just for a minute about the country of Rwanda, because as a country they have improved so much since the genocide. A lot of people who remember the genocide still think that what well, think that Rwanda is still super dangerous, and it's not. It's actually the second least corrupt country in Africa. It has the 15th fastest growing growing economy in the world, and its capital, Kigali, is one of the cleanest cities in the world. It actually has a ban on single-use plastics and plastic bags, and they also have a mandatory community cleaning day on the last day on the last Saturday of every month for all able-bodied residents of the city. That's really cool. That's really Imagine cool. taking care of your environment like that. Yeah, and apparently, know, right? apparently, like. People, people are like the residents of Kigali are apparently really happy to do it because I mean, it keeps their city clean and who doesn't like to live in a clean environment? And it takes, okay, it takes like such little time Yeah, that why not do it? Yeah. I saw a thing that said, you know, people will make a day of it. Like they'll meet up with their friends, kind of claim an area, clean it up, hang out. And you know, it's nice. And it's like 
Rwanda is quite literally on its way to becoming the Singapore of Africa. That is actually their goal. And they still have plenty of problems. Don't get me wrong. You can point out a billion problems within Rwanda. But I just think it's nice that they have made so many strides, such big strides in the last 25 years since, you know, all these horrible things happened. And so we're ending on a higher note because go Rwanda. I would actually really like to visit Rwanda. I would like to visit Kigali. It looks like a really cool city. And that's it. That is the story of Diane Fossey, a horrible person that did wonderful work. Why is there so many people like that? I know. Jesus, just be good people and do good work. That's all. Anyway. Riley, what's your question? Um, I'm going to take it out. But the 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 Rwandan genocide, mm-hmm. was there a movie made about that? Yeah, Hotel Rwanda. It's really good. Yes, I watched that in high school. Yeah, with Don Cheadle. <sighs> I don't know who that is, but sure. Riley, Riley. I just got a... I just got a notification. I don't even remember setting this reminder. Or reminder. It says, send Riley believes pictures. Believes. <laughs> <laughs> so if you'd like to see pictures from this case, if you want to see Digit, because we will definitely be posting oh, pictures of Digit, Digit, you can find us on social media, uh, Instagram is at True Crime INTL. And then we also have a Facebook group, which is super fun. Uh, it's just True Crime International. You can find it. Join us over there. If you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, please, please leave us a five-star review. Um, we really appreciate it. It really helps boost the show. And if you have an extra $5 a month and are enjoying the podcast and want extra content, we do have a Patreon. One level, like I said, $5. And you get three bonus pieces of content a month over there. And... That's it. That's all I've got. Yeah. Thanks for listening. We hope that you learned something new. I sure fucking did. Uh, And we hope that you've enjoyed your stay here at True Crime International. Bye. 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 Bye.